Do you play to lose or do you play to lift? What can Nordic LARP technique teach us about roleplay? Hello and welcome to this week's episode of How to Be a Great GM! My name is Guy, I am a GM, you are a GM, a DM, a narrator, a creator, a storyteller, a conjurer of worlds. I mean, who knows? You are here, I'm here, we're going to be talking about what Nordic LARPs, Nordic LARPs, can teach us about role-playing good old-fashioned TTRPGs. Now, where did this come from? Have I recently been on a Nordic LARP? No, sadly I have not. I would love to go on a Nordic LARP, just because then I could try my accent and get beaten up by a whole bunch of people who said do not use this accent, and I'm speaking specifically to all of my Swedish and Norwegian friends. But anyway, no, this was posted on our discord.gg forward slash greatgm Discord server by Monkish Monkfish, who asked for my take on the idea of play to lose or play to lift or play to win, which unfortunately is what a lot of TTRPG players play for. So we're going to talk about those three things. I think they're interesting. Hopefully you do too. So strap yourselves in because this is my take on Nordic LARP role-playing principles. All right, before we jump into it, what is a LARP? I hear you saying L-A-R-P. Stands for Live Action Role Playing. Now, a long time ago, I released a video saying that LARPing was terrible and it was a stupid idea, or at least I did a Facebook post. And I hurt a lot of my friends' feelings who are LARPers. And so they challenged me and they said, hey, you come and LARP with us for just a weekend. Well, <laughs> cut to... I am a LARP convert. I love LARPing. I have written my own LARP. I have played in LARPs. I absolutely adore LARPing. Live action role playing, you are your character. You literally embody your character. You spend the weekend as your character, interacting with other characters. Sometimes there's a big kind of GM plot thing that runs and you kind of are following that along. Or if you are doing Nordic LARP style, you are all creating the narrative. You are all creating the story. There's no such thing as an NPC. There's just another player. And everybody has got their own objective. And there is no GM controlling a super plot, as it were. Or there might be, but it's very, very much a hands-on approach. Each of the players is responsible for creating the story. Now, that has some resonance with role-playing. You have the DM, and the DM might have an open campaign where you're just going and exploring and facing a monster of the week or exploring the characters' backstories if you're running a character-based campaign or it's an epic campaign where there is a giant big plot and the players are running along. But in character-based campaigns or PC-based campaigns or in open campaigns, well, suddenly Nordic LARP-style approach makes a little bit more sense. The idea is that the characters are the ones that are generating the story. They're creating the story and the world around them is reacting according to that. Sometimes they're falling in plans, sometimes they're not. The notion then of play to lose starts to bring up this idea that the player character only has more dramatic potential, more narrative potential, if they fail than if they are constantly succeeding. You kind of go, wait, 
In role-playing, failure is often determined by the dice roll, not by the player character. Very seldom will the player character go, Oh, um, no, I, I don't want to investigate. I, I fail my investigation check. Well, you would just say, I don't investigate. But that doesn't make sense if you are an investigative type of character, does it? No, it doesn't. How do we apply this? Well, the play-to-lose concept is, as I have said, all about the character failing. Within role-playing, though, that is about your character making slip-ups. That's about your character accidentally dropping a secret that they shouldn't have necessarily dropped right in front of the sheriff who is currently looking for the player characters who are now in disguise. Or it's the player characters getting all of the clues, but the player who figures out what the clues mean consciously decides that the player character, this is a difficult, difficult nomenclature, so stay with me, the player character doesn't figure it out because their statistics would indicate that they are not intelligent to do so. This is deep role-playing, folks. This is not something that happens on the surface. This is you going, my character has a very low intellect score and will not figure this out. We've had this conversation before when we've spoken about how to play characters that are not particularly intelligent. The statistic says they're not intelligent, but you as the player or the DM are because you are you and you are amazing and wonderful and you're watching these videos, which means you have to have something upstairs. The whole idea is that you are choosing to apply things that don't necessarily need to be applied in order for the character to fail. The idea is that the failure will lead the character on a more interesting journey and thereby create a more interesting result. Okay, I think I've made my case on play to lose. What are the problems with play to lose, however? Obviously, the problems of play to lose is generally speaking within a LARP, you might be working with a group, but you're probably running the story for your own character. So you are not interfering with the narrative of the others in your group. Well, not necessarily. In role-playing, it is a team sport. It is an, an active group thing. So if your character is constantly failing and you are constantly choosing to have your character not make those connections, which cause problems for the entire group, well, the group is going to get tired of your character constantly failing. So you need to choose when to fail and when it is more appropriate to fail or when it is more interesting to kind of go, well, yeah, my character's intellect's not very high or my character's charisma is not very high, but I as the player have a higher value so I can sort of input something or figure out a way, a clever way of how the character would put two and two together. So you've got to judge that. So if you fail too often, the rest of the party is going to say, you are bringing us down. We need to go up. Isn't that an interesting segue into the next point about the play to lift option? Play to lift is the notion of complete support, but it is like ultimate support. As the player, you are going, oh, I can see that so-and-so is playing to lose. They want their character to not make those connections. So instead of me stepping in and playing to win and going, oh, don't be a silly sausage. Obviously this means X. I go, this is a tough, tough nut to crack. And if you can't solve it, I certainly can't. So instead of trying to steal the limelight or instead of just bulldozing over the player character who's trying to lose, you support the character. This also means that the player might be very bad at public speaking or at making good 
scientific lingo if you're playing a sci-fi game. But you as the other player playing to lift, listen to them going, I tell them to power up the who's a what's it and then invert the power. Instead of being condescending or perhaps instead of being a bit snarky, you are playing to lift. So you go, I listen to what Ensign so-and-so is saying and I completely invert the subspace harmonics on the spectral analyzer as they said I should. That was a brilliant idea. You are, in, you are supporting the player. You are supporting the character. Now, as the DM, this becomes very important for you. You should be, as the DM, playing to lift all the time anyway because you are not there to defeat the player characters because you could at the snap of a finger. You are ultimate Thanos, right? And no one can take the glove away from you because now it's on the other hand, it's on the other hand, and now you have four hands because you are the god of the game. You should always be playing to lift the player characters or playing to allow the player characters to lose and then lift them out of it. So this means that when the player character does something which is going to cause them to fail because they're either playing that way or the statistics roll that way, you play to lift. So they reveal to the, go to the sheriff that they're actually in disguise. It is I, Leclerc. 10 experience points to you if you know that reference. If the sheriff then goes, oh, I need to arrest you. They get arrested, but then you play to lift by putting someone in the prison who knows of a secret escape plan, or there's a washerwoman who takes kindly to people named Leclerc, or whatever. So instead of punishing failure, you are creating a more interesting narrative. Those, I think, are the big takeaways from this Nordic LARP idea is, hey folks, we should be cooperating, we should be playing, and the whole element of failure is something that we should be embracing, not doing on a regular basis, doing on a dramatic basis, because we are cooperating together, we're working together to create this narrative. A big thank you to Monkish Monkfish for suggesting this topic. I really enjoyed diving into what these things are. Now, before we go any further, a final note on play to win. Now this is the idea that your character should succeed whenever they do something. I find that this concept is incredibly, incredibly destructive when it comes to role-playing experiences. Why? Because when you roll that great big shiny dice and you get a one, instead of going, oh, 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 the world is over. The dice hate me. I fail. I fail. Why do I play this game? I should be playing craps or poker or something that doesn't involve random chance. I mean, if that's your attitude, that's probably your mental state. The idea of drawing from Nordic Lop saying play to lose, you go, I rolled a one. Oh, I, okay. Yes, I'm sad that I didn't win, but at the same time, I'm super energized because now it gives me an opportunity to fail and to see where that goes and to follow that journey, but to know that my GM has watched a video and is accepting of failure and won't continue to punish me, but will give me some interesting alternative ways to get out of the mess that I have now found myself in. So I think combining all of these ideas together gives you a remarkably robust way of running your game as a DM and as a player. And to that point, the role-playing system, the diceless role-playing system that I created called Bounty Hunter, which is a sci-fi 
Firefly meets Mandalorian meets any other non-copyrightable material. It is a choose to win or to fail type of game. That's the entire mechanic. The players choose when to succeed and when to fail. This whole concept is embodied in that game. And you will see that it creates so much tension. It's so interesting. That's a whole different aside. That's my plug for the week. So if you want that, www.greatgamemaster.com. You can buy a, a physical copy or a PDF. If you buy the physical, you get the PDF. All those kind of wonderful things. Head on over if you want to pick up a copy of that game. Mage Hunter, the fantasy version, is coming out soon. It's currently in development. If you want to know more about that, in the comments down below, let me know. Hey, we want to know more about Mage Hunter. Talk to us about Mage Hunter. Talk to us about the design process. You know I love doing those videos, folks. In the comments down below, if I get 10 people telling me that that's what they want to know, that's what's going to be in a video coming up in the next couple of weeks. Until then, I wish you and you and you and you and you and all of you the most wonderful and happiest of gaming.